0: Good morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jim Entwistle. I uh, was on staff here at FAC for seven years. Uh, I was a missions and service, missions and outreach, missions and benevolence pastor. I had a couple different names over the years. Um, but like I said, I was on staff for seven years. This is uh, my wife's home church. This is my home church. And uh, we spent a great time here serving in a ministry with many of you. And a couple years ago, God started laying a new call on our lives to um, pursue more leadership. And after prayer and talking with different people uh, in our church family and in our friends within our denomination, we felt that God was calling us to go and plant uh, a church, which is, you know, to start a new work somewhere. And after, you know, talking and figuring out where that was, we ended up in Lehigh Valley, uh, which is up by Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton area. Uh, We actually live in a little town called Nazareth, um, and we're trying to plant a church there. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about that and um, share some pictures with you. Uh, The church that we're actually a part of now is called Hope Bethlehem, or Hope Alliance Bethlehem. And uh, we meet in a school, and I said at the last service, it looks a little bit like here. Uh, <clears throat> that's a joke. Uh, but what we do every week, we, we load in and out of a trailer. It's a mobile church, it's called. We load in and out. And then the, the beautiful thing is that all these people show up, and it becomes a sanctuary for, for God and his ministry and what he's doing. And it's really cool. Um, So this this church, Hope Bethlehem, has been around about seven years, and uh, so we're linked up with them, and what we're going to do is take a group of those people and go and plant in Nazareth. And so to help kind of work on that this past year, uh, we've been in the neighborhood meeting with people, we've been leading a community group. One of the things we did this past summer was we handed out invitations to all of our neighbors, and our community group took them and gave them to their friends and people, and all these people started showing up at our house. And uh, we had a couple gatherings that were like 50 people, which was amazing. Um, One guy brought a bounce house to the first one and I was like I don't know if we need insurance waivers for that or what we do uh, but it was great people started making connections people and neighbors who had never spoken before um, you know because we're weird Americans and we don't talk to people uh, they st- we're interacting with each other and we got to see this this kingdom work start to take place in the neighborhood which has been totally great and then like I said a bunch of these people are actually part of our community group that meets every Sunday night uh, typically on a Sunday night we have about tw- we've been averaging 20 kids uh, who've been coming to community group and I said we're not planting a church; we're starting a youth group. Uh, but it's it's just like mayhem in our house every Sunday night. But it's beautiful. Uh, we have so much fun. We got to do Thanksgiving with a couple families uh, who didn't have family in the area, so we stayed around and hung out with them. And it's it's just been really great to do life with them. And I think we have a picture of all of our yeah. That was like when three quarters of the group was there. Um, that that picture we put on Facebook a couple weeks ago because to us it was symbolic of of what God's doing. All these different people, different sizes and shapes, coming together worshipping Jesus together and then going out and being in the hands and feet of Jesus in the neighborhood. And so uh, you know our our identity statement, whatever you want to call it, is simply Jesus. And that's what it is at Hope Bethlehem. That's what it'll be at Hope Nazareth. And that's what we're trying to do is simply be Jesus to one another and in our neighborhoods. And we have a great time doing it. But our hope now is to launch next October. So we're hoping over the next couple months to start leasing, you know, a building or school or something where we can meet, adding people to our numbers, you know, hit certain benchmarks, all these things to make sure that we're ready to launch. Uh, But you can be praying for that. But I wanted to thank you. There are many of you here uh, who have given to us financially There are people who have showed up uh, on a Sunday morning at church when I was preaching up in Bethlehem, which was crazy, a a big surprise. There are people who have sent cards and emails and words of encouragement. And I can tell you that uh, we can feel your prayers, those of us who who are praying for us. We've experienced it. We've seen God do awesome things. I'm not just saying that. I really mean it. We can sense God's presence through your prayer. And then I want to thank FAC Corporately. For those of you who give to the Missions Fund, some of that money has been sent on to us to help plant this new work. So thank you for giving to that thank you to FAC for supporting us in this work. And we covet your prayers and your support. Uh, we know we've got a long road ahead of us. So this is not a short journey. It's a marathon. And we appreciate your work up to this point in helping us, and we look forward to more. So I'll be down front afterwards. If you want to talk about that, and give you some more updates. Uh, if you want to get our monthly email, I uh, can get, get your address as well for that. But... I'm here today uh, because Pastor Marty asked me to come and help kick off a Christmas series that you guys are going to be going through for the next three weeks. And what I'm going to be talking about today is this idea that heaven has come down, so we don't need to go up. Now, it's Christmas time, and if you're anything like me, I don't care how old you are, I think we all come into Christmas with a little bit of expectation. Like, we expect that Christmas, or we hope that Christmas will be peaceful. We hope that Christmas will be restful. We have visions of calm, still nights with starry skies and calm kids reading books together and family being together and it's peaceful and good food and 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 i think part of that is a legitimate thing to look forward to uh in in my past one of the things that happened on christmas one year we were decorating so we'd go down to the basement and get all our christmas decorations and me and my brother go downstairs into the basement and all of our wreaths were put away in uh, plastic bags and they were all stacked up you know and so we take one off and then we go to get the next one and there's a dead squirrel (laughs) wrapped up inside we had lived in an old house i guess the squirrel broke in somehow and I'm like, isn't that such a symbol of Christmas? Like, it, we want it to be beautiful. Dead squirrel. Like this is like, this is. I mean, this is real life, right? And this is what this is what goes on in our lives. And one of the things that I think, though, that that goes on at Christmas is that it's an incredibly performance filled time of year. A whole lot of performance wrapped up in Christmas and and that time of the year. I mean, think about it. If you're in business or you run a business or you're in sales, or something, you know that up through the end of the year, man, you're working really hard. And you're trying to perform and perform and achieve and achieve and make sure that those sales calls come in, that you get that year-end bonus that you've been promised and you've been working towards. Or we're performing in our homes. We're trying to make them look really good. We're trying to make them look special. We want to make sure we put the right lights out and the right decorations. And, oh, those people got good lights this year. We need to get good lights now. We need to look good. Those of you who... How many of you send out Christmas cards with, like, you know, yourself on it or kids on it? Come on, put your hands up. You sent... Right. Some of you do. Okay. We do. You know that, like, the Christmas cards look good and everybody looks pretty, but you know you had to, like, threaten your kids to get the picture right. Like, it's a little bit of performance. Like, you know, we're sending this thing out. Like, oh, look how pretty our family is, and it's so great, and we get other people's cards. Oh, look how pretty they are. But we all know that it's chaos. Anyway. It's very much a performance-based time of year. And, you know, we go hang out with family, and and everybody's trying to put their best... ...or nobody, you know, upsets their brother. You know, we're trying to perform and look good and act good and make sure that everything's good. And we do it at work, and we do it at home. and, And then Christmas comes and goes and right back into life, right? You go to bed Christmas night, and you're like, well, that's that into normal life, right? You go back to work, you go back to school, back into that driven mentality of like, I got to achieve, I got to do, I got to perform, I need to earn, I need to make this thing happen. And I think a little bit of what's, <clears throat> what's happening at Christmas time, and I think what happens in all of our lives, is that we're desperately trying to recover something that's been lost. We're longing for something that has gone away. And I would say that we're trying to get a little bit of heaven, either go up and grab it or to make it happen here on earth. And we want to experience, we want to to grasp something that has gone away. And the reality that I want to go after today is that what we're longing for, what we're looking for is God's presence, heaven on earth. And the beauty of Christmas and and the story of Christmas is that heaven has come down And we no longer need to strive to go up and get it. Now to go after this story, uh, to go after this reality, what I'm going to do today is uh, go through sort of the narrative of scripture. So I didn't put any notes in your bulletin, you know, there's no points or anything there that you need. I just want you to to listen and sort of be uh, wrapped up in this story because what I want to show is that God didn't just come for the first time to earth in Jesus at Christmas, That God routinely throughout the narrative of Scripture has gone after his people and said, I love you, I'm coming for you, I love you, I'm coming for you, over and over and over again. So here's where we're going to start, all the way back at creation. In the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, what are the first words? In the beginning. In the beginning. In the beginning, remember those words. In the beginning, there's nothing. Nothing exists outside of God's person. And God lovingly creates everything. He comes down in a sense and he makes himself smaller and in his imagination he, he, he creates this new place and he creates earth. And then it says he brings light into the darkness and he separates the light and the dark. Remember those words. In the beginning, light and darkness. And he creates animals and water and land. And eventually, the the, the pinnacle of creation is humanity. He creates man and woman to look like him. They're made in his image. They're image bearers of God. And it's this beautiful picture of God in a way becoming small and coming down and being with his with his uh, creation. And he looks upon his creation and he says, "It's good." It is good. And he looks at humanity and he says, "It is very good. I love it." It looks like me, like a proud father. He says, "I love humanity." And church, can I tell you, he still does. He still looks at us and he says, "I love them. They look like me. I love them." and what happens in the in the garden of eden as it's called is that is that god is doing three things he's he's bringing provision for adam and eve he's providing for them he gives them a, a good garden that's going to produce food and it's going to provide for them in everything that they need and he gives them a purpose he says he gives them this command listen to this it was a command go and multiply manage the earth fill the earth it's a command And they have purpose and they know who they are. They know what they're supposed to do and who they're supposed to be. And God's presence is with them. Heaven and earth are united in the garden. And God's presence is there and the, Adam and Eve are fulfilled and, and God loves his creation and everything is good. But we know that the story goes on, right? And what happens is sin creeps into the picture. We call it sin because Adam and Eve uh, take from this tree that they were not supposed to eat from because it would give them too much knowledge, right? they become too much like God. Really what's happening is they want to be autonomous, They want their own freedom. And out of their own pride, they say, you know what? We don't really trust you, God. Despite your purpose and provision for us and your presence being here, you know what? We we got this. We can handle it on our own. So they take from this tree and they eat. And their eyes are open and they can see good and evil. And this heaven and earth union is broken. And God is no longer intimately connected to his creation the way he designed And we know that a curse comes on the people and they have to leave the garden. Their provision is a little bit shattered. And now instead of being able to just harvest food and fruit, it's going to be toil, God says. And you're going to have to work at this really hard. It's going to be difficult. The command to go and multiply now comes with great pain in childbirth. So their purpose and their provision and God's presence is a little bit broken for Adam and Eve. All because of their quest for autonomy. Because they wanted to be in charge. So then the story progresses and the next person we see is Noah. And God basically says to Noah, okay, here's the deal. Humanity has gone completely off the rails. They want to be totally autonomous and on their own and independent. They don't want to be dependent on me. I'm going to restart everything. So in a sense, Noah and his family become a new Adam and Eve. They become a new family that God says, okay, we're going to restart this thing. You're going to be my image bearers. You should go and reflect me to the world around you, like mirrors reflecting up to God. You're going to reflect me to the world around you, Noah. So God spares them by putting them into this ark and protecting them from great judgment. They come out of the ark, and it's like a month goes by, Noah's drunk, there's a big problem, and they're off into their autonomy again, right? I mean, it takes like that long for the world to start to fall apart again. And God who wanted to bring his presence again and his provision and his purpose for Noah being the new Adam and Eve is shattered because of autonomy. But something to know about this story is that just like to Adam and Eve, God says to Noah a command. He says, go and multiply. There's this command to go and multiply. So the story progresses on and then we get to the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel. If if you don't know this story, in short, what happens is humanity gets together, and they're like, you know what? We're going to build this great tower up to the sky. We're going to go up into the heavens. We're going to go up, and we're going to make a name for ourselves. This God character, we don't even know who he is. We're, you know, we're going to go make a name for ourselves. We have our own purpose. We're going to build something and make a name for ourselves. And one of the things I want you to think about through this talk is that I would say this is, this is the, the, the world system of autonomy. This is what the world sells. This is what the world offers. Go and make a name for yourself. Build. Achieve. Climb and climb and climb. And maybe this is in a business sense. Maybe this is your job. You know, climb and climb and climb. Okay, you're the vice president. Okay, you keep climbing. You've got to be the president now. You're head of your department. Okay, you want to be the head of the whole group. Like, keep going, keep going. Or maybe this happens in your home where it's like, you know what? I need to get better grades. I need to get better grades. I need to get better grades. I need to get into the better school, the better college. I need to perform more in my athletics. I need to be the captain of the team. I can't just be the best wide receiver. Like, on and on and on. And it goes. And this is what the world sells us. Saying, you know what? Go and make a name for yourselves. Go up to heaven and grab it and bring it down. Then your life will be full. Then you will no longer feel empty. Then you will feel like you've made it. Then you will feel like you're somebody. And I think, I think if we were honest, if you haven't discovered this yet, I th- think it's inevitable for all of humanity. You will discover that It's empty. There's always more to achieve. There's always more to do. There's always more money to be made, more goals to hit. The business can get bigger. The family can be better. The sports could be be better. Like go on and on. It's it's a never-ending quest. But this is what the world is selling us. And that's what's happening at the Tower of Babel. We don't need God. We have our own purpose. We're going to go up. We're going to make a name for ourselves. Ironically, what the writer says in Genesis is that God has to come down to see them. So they're building this great tower going up to heaven, and God says, well, okay, now we've got to go down and talk to them. And he goes down, and he scatters the people. And he says, I have told you to go. I have told you to go and fill the earth and be image bearers. I'll scatter you and make it happen. And the people are scattered. So then, as we move on in this narrative, we come to Genesis chapter 12, and we see God come to a man named Abram and Sarah, and he says to them, you are going to be new Adam and Eve. I'm going to restart with you. I'm going to make you a special people. I'll be your God, you will be my people, and he makes this covenant with them. And he says, here's who I will be, here's who you get to be in this covenant, And he says, I am going to give you a promised land, provision. He's going to give them this great land flowing with milk and honey where they're provided for and they have everything that they need. And he says, I'm going to give you a purpose to be a light to the nations, to be my image bearers, to go and tell people about me and invite people into God's family. And he says, I will be with you. And God, again, is doing everything he can To bring heaven and earth united. To make people dependent on him. But he never forces it. He waits for us to be dependent on him. So God makes this covenant with Abram. And one of the interesting things is that what was a command to Adam and Eve and what was a command to Noah to multiply, what happens with Abraham and Sarah? He can't command it to them because she's barren. He says, I will bless you. I will do this thing. And I think what's happening here in the midst of this covenantal agreement and her barrenness is God is saying... The past families have thought it was all about them. They thought it was from their work, what they had to achieve, what they had to do, and it was a command. Now I'm going to bless you. I will be the one to do it. I will be the one to make this family happen through you. It's not going to be from your own will or desire. It's my will and my desire that your family would grow. So God makes this covenant with them and they have a miraculously born son, right? I mean it's it's just an absolute miracle this woman who's old and barren and he's old, they shouldn't be able to have kids and a miracle happens. And God gives them a baby boy. And then the family starts to grow from there, and it spreads out across the land, and they're getting bigger and bigger, and God's presence is with them. But eventually, what happens? They run out of food, there's a famine, they freak out, and they decide to seek their own plan. They go down to Egypt, and they get stuck in slavery. Instead of depending on God and waiting for God to provide, they end up in Egypt, and they end up enslaved for 400 years. And they're crying out to God, saying, God, where are you? What have you done? Where are you? And God sends a man named Moses. Now, think about Moses' story with me for a second. Moses was born into a slave family, he's a slave child, born into, in, in, you know, enslaved by Egypt. And then he's spared from the hands of an evil king, an evil pharaoh who puts out a decree that says, I want all the boys wiped out because Israel's getting too big and powerful. So when he's a baby, he's spared. His mother saves him by putting him in a basket. And he long story short, he, gets up, he gets, ends up in Pharaoh's household. So he's born into slavery, miraculously spared from this decree, ends up in Pharaoh's household, ends up leading Israel out of slavery leads them out of Egypt by God's power to the Red Sea. God comes down again, parts the sea. The people walk through it into freedom. And then they end up at Mount Sinai. Do you remember this story? They get to Mount Sinai, and what does God do? He comes down on the mountain, and he gives them the law. Now, this word, this law, this word law is really scary, right? We're like, law, that sounds restrictive, and this sounds bad, and I don't know about that. If you look at what the law was, it was God saying, here's how you can be my people. Here's how you can love God and be with me, and here's how you can love others. That's the fulfillment of the law. It wasn't about restriction. It was about a good life. It was about a full life. And he gives them a a system of sacrifices. Do you remember this? He tells them, here's what you're going to do. You're going to have peace offerings. You're going to have fellowship offerings. They weren't just blood sacrifices. Oftentimes we limit the sacrificial system down to this blood atonement concept. These sacrifices, if you study them in Hebrew, do you know what the word sacrifice means? To draw near to God. God in his goodness is saying, I'm giving you a way to draw near to me. He consistently wants to be with humanity. And he says, here's how you can do that. By living out the law of love. By coming and sacrificing and being in my presence. And he tells tells Moses to build a tabernacle. It's this sort of fancy tent, as it were where God's presence will come and dwell. Now, if you think back to the creation story, it's kind of temple language. God is creating sort of a temple on earth where he comes and dwells, and he puts light into the darkness, and humanity is this image-bearer. Flash forward to the the, uh, tabernacle, and we see more temple language, that God is coming into this tabernacle, he's going to dwell there. They put candles inside, and light comes into the darkness. And there are priests who represent God. They carry around the the 12 tribes of Israel on their chest, near their heart. And they are God's image bearers that get to go into God's presence and bring God's presence to the people. So God creates this tabernacle and he gives them purpose to go and tell the world about him and to invite people to come and worship God. He gives them provision. He says, I'm going to give you a land. That promised land I told Abraham about, you get to go there. And his presence is with them. So he tells them to go into the promised land, and what do they do? Whoa. You've done, you know, that whole leading us through the Red Sea thing, that was great. But I don't know if we can go in and defeat these big people. We can't do that. And God's like, no, you can. And Moses says, no, you definitely can through God's power. And they say, no, 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 maybe we should go back to Egypt. You know what, the onions and leeks we were eating, that was good. The slavery, that was okay. We'll go back to that. So, God says, okay, you're choosing your own autonomous ways again. And He allows them to wander around the desert for 40 years. The whole time His presence is with them, though, even in their autonomy. God says, I'll stay with you. So, they wander around in the desert until a man named Joshua takes over from Moses. And Joshua leads them into the promised land, right? And they go into the promised land and they start defeating other kings. And God's giving them the land. And He's clearing the land out for them. Miraculous things happen. And they go into a time where they're living in the land and all is good and then they start choosing their own autonomous ways again and a time of judges comes in. And then eventually they say, you know what, here's the problem. We need a king. We need a king. God, would you give us a king? And God says, you don't want to do that. Power corrupts. And we've seen that lately. (laughs) Power corrupts. This king will end up turning on you. And they say, nope, we want to be like the rest of the people. So they make this autonomous decision, and God says, okay, you can have a king. And they have King Saul, and then they have King David, a man after God's own heart. And David says, you know what? This tabernacle that we've been carting around the desert for 40 years is looking kind of shabby. I think we need to make a temple for God. We need to make a big house. Like, David's like, look, I've got a really nice house as the king. God should have a nice house. I'm going to build a temple. And God says, not you. You've got blood on your hands from all of your battles. I'm going to do this through your son Solomon. So Solomon, King Solomon, takes over Israel and he builds this huge temple. It's enormous and it's beautiful and it's covered in gold and jewelry and precious stone and wood. And it says that God's presence comes and fills the temple. So he's no longer in the tabernacle. Now he's in the temple. There's a psalm. Psalm 72. If you want to read something this week and maybe some of your Advent reading or your praying through stuff, I would encourage you to read Psalm 72 because here's what's happening. The kingdom is established. Israel's God's people. They're supposed to be the light to the world. God's presence is coming and dwelling in the temple. People are falling prostrate around it, worshiping him. They're bringing sacrifices and offerings to him. And in Psalm 72, it says that the king is supposed to be the image bearer of God. The king is supposed to represent God's justice to the people. The king is supposed to care for the people, make peace for the people, to care for the poor, and to represent God to the people. But then the psalm starts to get prophetic in some ways. It starts to move from what seems like an earthly king to a king that's too good to be true. And he's this perfect king. And you know what it says? This is fascinating to me. It says that this king, who's going to be so good for Israel, other kings are going to come and they're going to worship him. They're going to bring gifts of tribute to him. Kings of Sheba are going to come and bow and worship this king. It's this imagery, this foretelling of what's coming. And so Israel is living in this kingdom for a while and life is good. And then what happens? God's with them. His provision is there. His purpose is for them to tell the world. He's taking care of them. His presence is there. And they say, hmm. And the kings start to go off the rails. And the kings start worshipping themselves and they say, we're going to make a name for ourselves. They start worshipping idols and pursuing other things and become totally immoral and walking away from God. And God warns them again and again and again through prophets saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And eventually, the kingdom is split in half. Part of it gets carted off by Assyria into exile. Part of it gets carted off by Babylon into exile. And the temple is destroyed. And God's presence, Ezekiel says, he sees God's presence leave the temple. And it's this heartbreaking moment where God's presence is gone and God feels far from the people and the people have been carted off, they've been separated from one another, families have been split apart, they're stuck in different parts of the world and God's presence is gone and the people are left all alone to fend for themselves. Choosing their own autonomy has led them to this. But what happens during this time, I think of something that still happens today in a moment of god 's silence and waiting for God to do something, the people start scrambling trying to figure out what happened: Where has God gone? Why did He leave me like this? Why am I all alone? Why are we not being protected? why is god 's presence not here? Why did He allow this to happen? And the priest starts saying, well, you know what, maybe, maybe we weren't obeying the law well enough. So let's, let's start obeying the law really well. You know what, let's go beyond it. Let's do tons of right things for God. Let's perform, let's earn God back in to Israel. And I would call this, instead of the world's way of building the Tower of Babel, making a name for ourselves, this is the religious way. This is religious legalism, this is moralism that says, you know what, if I just perform well enough... God will come back. If I just do enough good things, God's presence will be in my life again. You know what? My kids aren't behaving well enough. I you know what? I should memorize 1st John. Then God will bless me with good kids. You know what? Things aren't going well in my life. I better go to church this Christmas. I better be there. Then God's then then God will bless me. I I need to go to more classes. I need, to, I need to do more program stuff, programmatic stuff. That's what I, And then God will be happy with me, and then my life will be good. Now, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. Please hear me. Reading the narrative of Scripture, understanding God through prayer, through being you know, in a group with men or women, those are great things. I do them myself. But we fool ourselves into thinking, oh, I can earn this. If I just do well enough doing these godly things, God's presence will come into my life. Church, that's moralism and it's not freedom of the gospel. It's legalism that says, I need to earn this, I need to earn this, I need to earn this. Instead of saying, climb, 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 and build up to heaven, it's saying, well, I'm going to do, 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 and I'm going to make heaven come down. That's not the gospel. But it's what Israel is doing during this time of silence. They're saying, God left, so we better perform, we better do really well, we better make him like us again. And the whole time he's saying, I don't want your sacrifices... He says this. I don't want the blood of bulls and goats. I want your heart. Stop being dependent on yourself. Stop you know, pursuing your own autonomy through religious works and to be dependent on me. Respond to me. Love me. That's what God wants. So there's these 400 years of silence. The people are waiting and waiting for rescue. And they start rebuilding the temple, thinking if we rebuild the temple, maybe God will come back and God's presence doesn't return to the second temple. And they wait and they wait and they wait until after 400 years of waiting on God, He shows up to a little virgin Palestinian girl. It says, Now I'm going to do this new thing through you. You are dependent on me, not seeking your own autonomy. I'm going to bring my presence to earth through you. It's crazy. It's the beautiful story of Christmas, the continuation of God's always wanting to be Emmanuel, God with us, over and over and over again until he shows up to Mary and says, You are going to be part of this story and think about Jesus' story he is the image of God just like Adam and Eve were supposed to be he's called a new Adam he's miraculously born Mary shouldn't have had a baby neither should Sarah remember this is God doing his miracle again Saying, you're going to multiply and fill the earth, but through my miracle. So Jesus is born miraculously. He's born into an enslaved people, an occupied people in Israel. And then the king says, you know what, I feel this threat coming from these these little boys who are being born. And he says, you need to kill them. Just like Pharaoh said. And Jesus' family escapes. And he's protected from this decree. And they come back. We see the story of them in the stable. And who comes? Who comes? Foreign wise men, foreign kings come, just like Psalm 72. They come and they bow and they worship this king. And they bring gifts of tribute to this baby. He is God's promise to humanity. He is God's perfect king. Look with me at John 1. If you have your scriptures, you can turn to it. If if not, that's fine. In John 1, we, we, we see John's telling of Jesus coming to earth. Now, in Matthew and Luke, we get the stories of the nativity. We get the stories of Jesus, you know, born as a baby in a manger. John jumps right into heavy theology, like right from the beginning. And I would encourage you, to read the book of John. This man is not just, you know, an early disciple. This guy is a theologian. He knew his Old Testament theology. Listen to what he says. John 1, 1. In the beginning. Isn't that interesting? I think what John is doing is he's writing a new Genesis account. He's saying, In the beginning. And if you read on, he says, Then the next day, this happened. And the next day, this happened. He's telling a new creation story. He's saying, It's starting anew, it's starting over. If you read on there, it says verse, uh, verse 4, In him, meaning Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. Here's that temple language. The light is coming into the darkness to illuminate things. And he's God's image-bearing son, just like the king, just like the priest to the people. And he bears God's image to humanity. He's the fulfillment of all of these images throughout the Old Testament. Listen to this in verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word there, dwelling, actually is, it says this. He tabernacled among us. He tabernacled among us. God's presence that was there in the tabernacle, that was there in the temple, that was there at creation, is now here at new creation through Jesus. He comes and he dwells among us humanity and he offers new life that we can be made new as well and that in him we can have purpose that he will provide for us and that he gives us a purpose of multiplying and making him known to be his image bearers around the world it's a beautiful beautiful picture One of the things I find fascinating is just how God came down to Moses on Mount Sinai. God comes down through Jesus on the mountain and he gives this this great sermon where he says, this is what the law looks like. The Beatitudes, you remember these? Go and do this, go and do this, go and live like this. And it wasn't meant to be a list of rules just like the law wasn't. It was meant to be the fulfillment of love on earth. And instead of saying you have to live like this to get my presence, he says because of my presence you get to live like this. You get to go live this out in the world around you. It's a privilege. It is the full life that Jesus offers us, offers to us as Emmanuel, God with us. And church, I would tell you that we can't earn it. And I know many of you know that. We've been raised as... Good Protestants, right? We know our doctrine of justification, that we can't earn it. But I think so often we slip back into religion and legalism and say, well, Jesus did this, so I I better go to church. Jesus did this, I I better give 10%. Jesus did this, I better memorize my Bible. I better do all these things so that he loves me. You can't do anything to make God love you any more than he already does. He has demonstrated it over and over and over again through the scriptures to say, I love you despite the fact that you're knuckleheads. Right? Over and over and over again. I love you despite you continually choosing autonomy instead of dependence on me. I love you and I want to give you my presence. You can't earn it. You can simply respond in grace-filled obedience to say, man, isn't it great that we get to live this life? That we get to read the scriptures, that we get to pray, that we get to give, that we get to serve, that we get to love. That is our purpose that Jesus gives us. And we know that Jesus goes on. And this is the, the, the great sort of, to me, climax of this narrative, is that Jesus goes on, he dies on a cross, he's resurrected, and what does he say to his disciples? Now. Go and tell people about me. Go and be my image bearers around the world, and I will give you my spirit. So the same spirit that filled the tabernacle, that filled the temple, that came in Jesus, he now puts inside of those who call him Lord. You can't get any more, I don't think, any more in union than that. It's no longer a building that we need to go to. It's no longer a place that we need to draw people to. We carry bits of heaven around with us. We carry Jesus around with us and his love around with us and we get to invite people into that. Can you imagine what the world would look like if Christ followers lived like that? If instead of buying into the rat race mentality that we need to perform, perform, perform and achieve and achieve and achieve and we need to be like everybody else, we said, you know what? I live in a different kingdom. I don't need to live into that world anymore. I'm going to work hard. I want to be a responsible Christ follower but VP, president, whatever, whatever. It's God's kingdom that I'm worried about. Or, probably more importantly, can you imagine if if we lived like we carried around the presence of God with us everywhere that we went and said, Do you want to be a part of this? rather than saying, You know why God's not blessing this country? Because you behave like that. You know, if you would just shape up, if you would just act differently, then maybe God would bless us. Can we remember that we have been blessed? that we have been given the Spirit, that we have been given the love and presence of God, and we get to carry that everywhere that we go and say, do you want to be a part of this with us? Do you want to come and experience God in this way? Be a radically different world. Our politics would be different. Our businesses would be different. Our families would be different if we actually believe that God's presence has come down into us through his Spirit. Church, that's the Christmas story. That God has always wanted to bring his presence to earth and routinely has done so time and again ultimately through his son Jesus and then leaving his spirit as a deposit in our lives waiting until he returns in fullness again. That's the hope of Christmas this year. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your love for us that even though we routinely choose our own autonomy that we even when we routinely choose to live seeking worldly acclaim trying to be the the best trying to make a name for ourselves even when we do that you still love us And thank you that we do not need to earn your love, that you've given it to us freely. The only thing we can do is turn to you in dependence and say thank you. Thank you. I believe you. I believe that Jesus is Lord. That no amount of Bible memorization, no amount of going to church or not would affect your love for us. Help us live in that freedom. Help us remember this Christmas season that we don't need to perform, that we don't need to earn, that we can live in the freedom of the gospel. That Jesus, you have brought heaven to earth, that you have brought God's presence to earth, and he lives inside of us by your spirit. Would you remind us of that hope this Christmas? If you've not of Jesus in that way before my friends I would ask you to consider it do you believe do you believe that Jesus wants this for you that he came to live this life to fulfill the covenant to give you new life turn to him today's the day give him your heart ask him to lead you no more striving no more working no more trying to achieve just resting in the freedom of the gospel by his spirit in Jesus name Amen.